for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, grab, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! And the handoff to Tomlinson, left side, and he will gallop into the end zone! Charger fans are witnesses to history! What is going on, guys? How are we doing today? Welcome back into the Blitz Podcast. We're still doing the Blitz Power Rankings. We are up to number eight now with the Miami Dolphins. We're going to be talking uh, what's going on in Miami today. And there's a lot going on in Miami. You know, this has been one of the hotter teams uh, throughout the past two off seasons with all the moves that they're making. There's a lot of conversation to be had about Tua and these playmakers and the health problems that they're already enduring. Uh, before the season's even started, we're midway through August and we're already having health concerns about this team. So very interesting one to talk about. And I got Mitchell here with me as a little bit of a, I can't even say special guest anymore. You're, you've came on too much and awesome-ish. <laughs> Well, my name's in the description for the YouTube page and the Spotify True. and Instagram. True. I mean, I'm technically a part of it. It's just I wasn't available as much as I was previously. But yeah, but we're, yeah, we're talking you. about the talking about the Dolphins here, and as decided by the fans, my team beat them by one. It's kind of a spoiler for what's coming next. But hey, we got the fans involved. We got some interactions, and the people have spoken. And the Chargers are better than the Dolphins, so they can suck it. Yes, and thank you guys for uh, interacting with us on that and getting those uh, votes back into us because we were really kind of torn. Obviously, Mitchell's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of an opinion there that may or may not be biased about one of those teams uh, that may or may not be coming up. Uh, but we really couldn't decide between the four of us, so we brought it up to you guys to see what you thought of it. Obviously, the Chargers ended up winning, so they will be the next team. Um, I've pride myself on not spoiling anything, but I feel like anybody that knew that it was between those two, and if the Dolphins are out now, then the Chargers would have to be next. So you'll be seeing that episode fairly shortly after this one. Uh, and if you happen to catch the episode before it comes out on the Instagram, good for you, and thank you for watching, which reminds me to please like, comment, subscribe, like on the Instagram stuff. Um, but if you are watching now, Congratulations. Please don't tell everybody because uh, then I'll get fired. Um, moving on, moving into the quarterback situation here in Miami, and it is one of the most controversial, one of the most polarizing quarterback situations we have in the NFL right now is Tua Tagovailoa, who for the first few years of his career was hated on for various reasons, um, even still after this season where he played really well. And this offense, when he's on the field, looked like one of the best offenses in the NFL. You know, we, they have the playmakers that we're going to talk about here in a minute, but he runs this offense so well with those guys, with Mike McDaniel, but it was a matter of him actually staying on the field. You know, he has three different bouts with concussions last year. Uh, he had the game in Buffalo, or against Buffalo in Miami, where he was stumbling, and there was some, like, shaky stuff maybe going on in Miami with the uh, training staff about what could have happened there. And then we see on primetime on Thursday night football against Cincinnati, that incident happened. That was all extremely scary for, you know, everybody watching the game. And then he has another bout with it again. I believe it was in the green Bay game when it happened or he made, yeah. yeah, where he had it again. That's the third time in a season, you know, three concussions in one season is not a good thing and this is a guy with an already extensive injury history mitchell listed off about 10 of them uh prior to us starting this is pre-nfl stuff so i like you want to be optimistic about tua we have them at ninth and this is obviously this quarterback ranking is assuming full health for tua but it's just kind of hard to do that is it not i mean it really is he has yet to finish a single NFL season in his career, dating back to his rookie year. Granted, he wasn't the starter initially, and he still did not finish the season without getting an injury. Uh, so far through his career, he's played in 10 games, 13 games, and 13 games. It's just not good. And before that, his notable injury was the hip dislocation with a fracture before draft time, and that was a major issue on whether or not they could trust drafting him. Because clear he had... I've listed off. I don't want to list off the 10 things it was at Alabama for him, for our listeners, but there was already a list of injuries. It was just nagging small stuff that always pops up for him. And 
We'll get into the offensive line a little later, but they're not the stoutest unit in the NFL. So he's bound to get hit as fast as McDaniel can help him produce stuff with this track star offense and they can get down the field quick and do a quick game thing. But he's bound to get hit. It's the NFL. The concussion injury or issues is a major issue for him because that's going to keep bouncing up. But apparently he's been practicing, what, judo or taekwondo, so he knows how to fall now? Shouldn't be that much of an issue. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I mean, th- by that, we should stop this injury conversation now because he's going to be fine. Like, if he's practicing taekwondo, well, everything's going to be okay in Miami. But, you know, you said a lot of it is just like, is there are, – are we going to see Tua play a full season? And that's the question mark. That's – if they aren't holding this ninth ranking, I think it's for that reason. Like – Going into last season, even assuming health, I don't think anybody had two as a top 10 quarterback, but he definitely showed in the games that he was healthy that he can be that guy, especially from a production standpoint. I mean, he was producing with the top quarterbacks in the NFL. He was also grading out super well uh, per PFF. He had a game uh, at 96.8 against Detroit, which is like, that's an elite of elite grades. Um, You rarely ever see that on any given week, uh, especially from a quarterback. So, he had some games where he looked like one of the best, one of the guys that should be in the top four or five. Um, but it's just a matter of being able to see that on a consistent basis and being able to see that for 17 games. And I think for the rest of his career, unfortunately, that's going to be the case with Tua. As scary and as unfortunate as that is for a guy that's as talented as he is, uh, they do bring in Mike White here, which I think is going to be, you know, obviously that is the insurance for that. Yeah, you're not bringing Mike White in here to take to his job, but you're bringing him in here because in relief for the Jets quarterback woes last year, to say the least, he came in and played pretty well. Like he kept that offense afloat. Uh, After a few games, it was starting to drown a little bit. And then he, you know, the, the starting quarterback happened to get back at that point in time and kind of saved him from that. But I think... I, I don't know if you feel awful if Mike White has to come in here, especially with everything else that's going on. You have Tyreek, you have Jalen Waddle. I'm not going to say that they're similar quarterbacks because Tua is obviously much better, but I feel like you're like the offense doesn't have to change its entire philosophy when Mike White comes into the game. So just that is definitely the most we've talked about a backup quarterback uh, in this series so far at about yeah. 45 seconds. But overall, do you think ninth is too high for Tua? No, I think I think it's about right. I think it partially does levy in the issue of his injury because through the 15 weeks before they shut him down for the season, this team was fifth in DVOA, which is among the elite, and that's including weeks with his concussions before that, before he got shut down. The team finished at seventh overall, but... This team was beyond efficient when he was in. I didn't look at the specifics of the games because it's hard to tell at what point the concussions really started to affect him, and you can always limit so much and when symptoms were ending. But obviously it would be enough for him to come back in some of these games. But even with some of that levied into it, they were still fit in the NFL, including the games he missed earlier in the year. So he could clearly run this offense to a next level, and there was such a clear drop-off after I mean, Jalen Waddle in games where Tua wasn't quarterback, had zero touchdowns. It's just such a clear decline in play. And I like Mike White as a quarterback, I do, but I think people figured him out once they actually had tape on him. It was kind of just unknown when he came in and had that random five-touchdown game against the Bengals. And then he came in last year and was solid, but it fell off slowly and the wheels started to wiggle a little bit more and loosen. I think now that people know how he plays and his tendencies, it's a little easier to play for him than when he was the complete unknown that he was before. But granted, he's a lot better than Skylar Thompson. Skylar Thompson just stunk overall. Yeah, and like with Tua, there's like this stigma around him of the weak arm, which I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that he has one of the strongest arms in the NFL. And, you know, this can definitely be attributed to the fact that he has two of what, the four or five fastest wide receivers in the NFL, at least as far as like guys that are really fast and are also really good. He's got two of the best Um, from 20 plus yards down the field on the right side, 154.9 passer rating, 334 yards, two touchdowns, 11 for 15. For on those passes and then between the numbers 13 for 26 he's completing 
over 50% of his passes down 20 plus yards down the field. He had uh, 10 touchdowns and two picks on those throws. It's pretty good numbers for a guy that has a weak arm. Again, playmakers help, and we're going to talk about those playmakers right now. One of our best groups yet. You know, number six on of the groups that we have remaining, or number six of all the teams. Idiot. Um, <laughs> and it's really carried by two guys. It's carried by Tyreek Hill and Jay Lovato, who for my money is the best one-two in the NFL. There are a lot of There's a lot of competition. You look at Jamar Chase and um, T. Higgins. You look at A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. You look at even like D.K. and Tyler Lockett. There's a lot of pair duos in the NFL with a conversation here but for my money I think Jalen Waddle's the best number two in the NFL I think Tyreek Hill can 100% make an argument for the best number one in the NFL as well so it's really carried by those two um you look outside of that you're not super excited I'm really surprised that's why they're six yeah maybe (laughs) maybe I'm like a little bit lower on Braxton Berrios than the average man I really thought Cedric Wilson would have this uh I felt like he played well enough last year and he definitely played well enough in Dallas during this job Um, the running backs are going to be the same thing that any Shanahan style offense is going to be it's going to be multiple different guys you've got Mostert you've got Jeff Wilson you've got Devon A. Chain who doesn't make the graphic but is here and can very well win this starting job by the end of the season Uh, at tight end you did let go of Mike Jacecki this past offseason in division to New England and you've got uh, Durham Smythe here so that's cool do you got anything to say about Durham Smythe? Um, I, he might be able to block he better really than Gasecki. Really lobbed you a softball there, didn't I? I? He's a better blocker than Gasecki. That's not saying anything because Gasecki was horrible, and that's why they didn't use him at all because they had other people to do the routes that he would normally do. But I, I do think for the playmakers overall, it seemed like when they were hiring for the job, one of the application things said must run sub 4440 yard dash because Berrios, uh, Cedric Wilson, Chosen Anderson, Jalen Waddle, who didn't officially run a 40, but I assume he can run below 4-4, Tyreek, Mostert, and Devon A. Chain all do it. it. It seemed like it was a requirement to get a job on this offense. They are just trying to create speed as much as they can and allow Tua to get these timing throws. Because they can run these 15-yard like slants, just a deeper version of a slant, because they're there in half the time. It would take other receivers that are like 6'4", running 4'5", and stuff like that, looking at the team that will be next probably. But yeah. it, it just works a lot better for his timing throws. He can throw it further downfield on a quick throw because he's all about timing. And once he gets that chemistry with him, which he already has clearly with Tyreek and Jalen, it just creates bigger chunk plays each time they're doing this. And it definitely opens things up because I think towards the end of the year, people figured out what McDaniel was kind of running by just dropping two people about in the middle of the field, about 15 yards back and forcing two to throw more out routes and adjust to it. Cause they were, I just remember the chargers game. I watched at least five passes get defended 15 yards down the field in the middle of the field. I I assume they'll be able to adjust to that by hopefully creating a better running game, hence why they brought in Devon A. Chain. But we'll see if they can actually adjust to this. But overall, the group should be able to crack the top five, I think, if two is healthy. Yeah, I mean, again, it, I think it really comes down to, not that these guys have had like super big health concerns, but... If one of those two wide receivers goes down, you're not talking about this group anywhere near this light. If you lose somebody, if you lose a Mostert, they're just going to bring another rotation guy in. They're going to find a guy that's playing in the XFL that runs a 4-3, and he's going to come in here, and he's going to have like six or 700 yards. But if you lose one of those two receivers, that's where you start having problems, not only with this just this playmaker group, but with this offense, because the main attraction of how this offense is so good is because – you can't stack one side for Tyreek, or you can't stack one side for Jalen Waddle. If you put one of both of them on either side, the defense is screwed. Just quite frankly, they can, you know, Tua can just pick his spots. He can play point guard and just find the open guy. And if one of those guys is down, it makes the other guy a lot easier to cover. It's just, you know, simple football math here. I don't think Chosen Anderson or Cedric Wilson or any of those guys are stepping into that role successfully. So. Still going to be one of the best playmaker groups in the NFL, but you've got to keep those two healthy or it's going to go downhill really fast for this entire offense and probably for this entire team. 
Uh, moving on to the offensive line, and we'll start with a guy who's uh, not exactly the most healthy fellow himself, Teron Armstead. Um, you bring in, like, this is a legit, so- like, when they brought him in, it was to be their superstar left tackle. I mean, Teron Armstead, when he's playing, is one of the eight or ten best left tackles in the NFL, if not even higher than that. Uh, it's just a matter of you know that he's going to miss six games a year. And when he's missing six games a year, there's not a whole lot of depth here that you're excited about. Even just looking across the rest of the line here, you know, you've got Liam Eikenberg on the left side with him, who was the third worst guard in the NFL last year among 77 guards. I don't know why Wynn's not starting over him. Yeah, I, I think he will be by, you know, this Hopefully. was, we were putting this together in August, training camps or preseason still going on. Um, I think by September, after a few weeks of watching him play, I think uh, Isaiah Wynn, who started, he's, I'm surprised they're moving him into guard because he played at tackle they, in New England, but he's They he's desperately need tackle depth, too. Yeah, he's a little horrible. bit smaller tackle, like shorter. Um, so they'll probably, they can slide him into guard. It's something that could happen. They do have Connor Williams here who had a really good season last year. Robert Hunt also notorious, almost touchdown scorer. Also had a pretty solid season last year. Austin Jackson here as well. Former first round pick. Uh, hasn't really worked out. Uh, was a 2020 first round pick. I'm almost certain that they declined his fifth year option. Uh, after the career. There's no way they picked it up. I mean, wouldn't be the strangest thing to pick up a tackle that hadn't panned out. Well, yeah, I guess, but I haven't, I don't remember hearing it, so I'm going to run under the assumption. I'll let you talk while I look it up. Yeah, this line has patches of good in it. I mean, you look at Connor Williams, I didn't think that was going to pan out for them, and he turned into a great center. Him and Pochich graded pretty similarly in center, and you guys had high praise for him in the last episode. Robert Hunt, Clearly my breakout candidate, because I did the write-up for this, he was almost a touchdown scorer. The big man's bound to get one in the end zone as a situational running back. Just throw in Isaiah Wynn where he's at and let him take the ball like the fridge. And then, like you mentioned, Teron Armstead, uh, I don't think he's finished a full season at any point in his career. I'm looking through the games played last year, 13, 8, 14, 15, 10, 10, 7, 13, 14, and 6. He has never finished a full season. And while he still grades amazingly, he plays through these injuries. It's not like they're not hindering him when he comes back. I mean, he's bound to get injured, so I'm not going to say imagine if he was fully healthy. Because it, last year at some point, I feel like you had asked me to write an injury right up, and I looked him up, and there was four things, and I just said no. <laughs> I know he had a high ankle sprain, and then it said like thigh, back, and shoulder. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. He just cannot stay healthy, but he's still an elite tackle in this league. And he's really the thing holding this offensive line together because we would probably tank this offensive line to bottom outside of the top 25 if he wasn't here. Oh, yeah. I mean, 22 is still your bottom third in the league. And Teron Armstead, like I said, is a top tackle when he's healthy. And, you know, for for those 10 or 12 games a year (laughs) – this is probably a top half offensive line, at least, especially with Connor Williams and Robert Hunt playing well. You know, that's three good offensive linemen. That's a lot more than a lot of teams can say. But without the certainty of Teron Armstead here, uh, certainty of certainty of good play for ten games a year, Austin, just availability. Austin Jackson <laughs> did get his uh, option declined, um, but yeah, this is a bottom five unit if Teron Armstead isn't here. And, I mean, really not if, when Teron Armstead isn't here because there's going to be times this year when Teron Armstead isn't here. And that's why you're so worried about Tua is because for those five games that Teron Armstead's here, it's like he's playing with four offensive linemen. And when oh, Come Tua's, on, Kendall Lamb and Cedric. I don't, I'm not even going to try to. Well, and I think, that, I think that's also another reason why they're going to start Eichenberg at guard and they're going to use Wynn as a backup. Maybe they could put Wynn at guard and then if something happens or when something happens to Armstead, they move Wynn back out of the tackle and they put Eichenberg back at guard. I think that was one of their main reasons in going out to get him is so they can do that. Uh, and a savvy move by Miami you know, for going out to get a guy with guard and tackle flexibility. So good on him. For dirt cheap too. Yeah, for very cheap. I mean, he started for New England, who was one of the better offensive lines during his tenure there. Like, I, don't, he I think he was like upper team. 60s at the lowest before this past season where he graded like 52. But 
he was still a great player this whole time. It just fell off out of nowhere, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, pretty pretty strange, but we'll we'll see how that offensive line ends up pan now. We're hoping for good health for Toronto Armstead, but uh, we're not going to predict it. Uh, front seven, moving onward, another top ten group here. They are coming in at eighth. Uh, this is definitely like I think for people that are looking through these to see this ranking, I think will be a little bit surprising because there's not a whole lot of household names. Like Bradley Chubb used to be a household name. And the production kind of dropped off. Plus, a lot of people forget that he was a midseason acquisition for them. Traded for him at the trade deadline last year. He's still here. You've also got Jalen Phillips here, um, who was dropped, fell in the draft because of injury concerns. It was I remember hearing a report that it was like if he gets one more concussion, he's done playing football. Like he cannot. Play. Ironic. He will not be medically cleared. <laughs> which yeah, Miami goes and picks him up, and it's like oh yeah, this is, this is going to work out great after we've you know done more medical talk in through the first what 20 minutes of this than we have in any other episode so far um, we're not even to the chargers yet oh come on yeah we're I just know. gearing up <laughs> i know we we got to get you ready man that's why we're bringing you in for these next two so you can explain this shit um <laughs> but phillips has been phenomenal he was great last year graded out eighth among edge rushers didn't convert as many of his pressures into sacks as you'd like to see but Variants will bring that back for you, and then having Chubb as an edge two now, if he trains, if like Phillips can make that step, and Chubb's your your second edge, you feel really good about that, and you don't feel as great because you gave up a first round pick for that. Um, but he's here, and you know the players here. You're not going to draft the Bradley Chubb level player in all likelihood in the twenties. So good on them for going to get him. You got Christian Wilkins in the middle, who's been one of the more in, uh, underrated interior D linemen. Has he gotten paid yet? I know I that everybody else is getting just, paid. I think he's in the fifth year right now, and he's probably waiting on it. Yeah, but he's everybody final. else has. I he's think probably next up um, among that class. Right. I don't think he has because I know Lawrence just took like a surprisingly like team friendly deal. So he might be waiting for next offseason and go into like free agency to see who can pay him the most. Yeah, so it was his fifth year option. Uh, this this is his fifth year option. He was a 2019 pick. I thought it was 2020 for some reason, but uh, yeah, he's he will in go the into class. free agency. Yeah, he will go into free agency after this year. And, you know, maybe the Dolphins bring him back. Maybe some other team picks him up. But I am almost certain that he is going to get a bag. I'm talking 16, 17, 18 mil a year plus, especially with the way that the interior defensive line market. Can you maybe, like, speak to why that's happening? Like, why, just what? the, the, the idea of boom? I know it's because it was a phenomenal class and all those guys came up at around the same time, but it's just kind of crazy to me. I think it's kind of now that, like, the Fangio-style defenses is the big thing. You want to have a guy who can lock down the interior because we see what happens when you don't have that star interior guy on the Chargers when they try to run the same stuff. You're going to have a glaring hole up the middle, and you need to have someone that you can guarantee can lock it down. I think that has to do with a lot of it. I think. Yeah, I mean, because there were a lot of Fangio-style defenses that were rough last year. I mean, look at the Browns. You talked about them the other day. They had nobody on the interior and got scorched up the up the middle. Yeah, and I think that also the fact that like these contracts are obviously based on the year that you're drafted because you get a you get a set contract when you get drafted. And Quinn and Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons all get being eligible for contract extensions at the same time. And it's like we saw with the quarterbacks where when one gets paid, the other one gets paid like a million more than that. And the next one gets paid a million more than that. And when that happens three or four times in the interior defensive line market, that just blows up. I mean, we saw Javon Hargrave get like set that benchmark was, you know, former Steeler, bless up. Um, he gets a big deal from San Francisco and then Jeffrey Simmons tops that. And then Quinn Williams tops that. And then Dexter Lawrence tops that. And now the, interior defensive line market is completely inflated so christian wilkins very well could be a beneficiary of that uh you got two solid linebackers here in jerome jerome baker and david long david long actually was um like recruited or jalen ramsey told the front office go get david long because he played well in la with him uh do you have anything else to say on the front seven i know i didn't really pass it to you i did like the inside linebacker duo they were kind of sneaky to me mm -hmm. both guys who graded in Absolutely. the 70s baker's a much better pass rusher and long's more of a run defender but they both do both those things pretty well they're not great coverage but they're 
serviceable to quote the great Kane Schwartz on that one. But they're both solid players. I do kind of worry that they're going to regret the first for Bradley Chubb because we have seen him with an elite pass rusher across the side from him before with Vaughn Miller, and he's never quite lived up to his expectations, but he can be solid. And then they have Andrew Van Ginkle right behind him. He's okay rotationally. You're going to get some production just to rest the legs of Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips, hopefully. And then one sneaky guy on the line is Sealer. He was almost mm-hmm. an 80 run defense grade and we have him above Emmanuel Agba who is on the decline but he's a known name but Sealer is great up the middle and these they have I think me and Kane tied at the highest ranking of this front seven at seven and I, I'm a little higher on him than I was before now honestly because this is a solid unit all around I mean, Jalen Phillips is poised for a breakout. He did got none of the sack production that he should have last year. I think he had more sacks his rookie year on way less pressures than what he had last year. So he's poised for a much bigger season this year. Yeah, I think so. Full disclosure, I don't know ball. I had them at 14th after doing a little bit more research into the Dolphins. I didn't realize how good Jalen Phillips was last year. Um, I also was kind of sleeping on this interior defensive line. I forgot how much depth that they have here. You know, Emmanuel Agba is on the decline, but is still a good player. Starts for a lot of teams, and he's sitting on the bench here. Zach Sealer, one of the more underrated players in the NFL. Like, you're, even your above-average NFL fan probably doesn't know who Zach Sealer is. He's had two years in the last four years, or three years in the last four years, grading above 70 with a – he was the third-ranked interior defensive lineman in 2021, and nobody knows his name. So – Credit to the Because he Dolphins. plays run defense. He's not yeah. a guy well, yeah. racking up sack totals. <laughs> yeah, and credit to the Dolphins for finding that guy because that is a legit asset is being able to find a run defender. You know, he doesn't put up the stats, but he's going to clog up the lanes and, you know, clog up this run defense and allow your defense to be much better as a result. So credit to them again and shit on me for putting them at 14th. I would definitely like, especially now that we've gone back because we do more research into it as the team begins to approach in the rankings we look at them a little bit closer and doing that i kind of realized like oh, i i screwed up here like i missed i messed up a little bit putting them as low as i did oh, yeah. and then one more depth piece that is i don't think he'll break out this year because the inside linebacker duo is pretty good but along the lines Channing tindall he could be good former mm-hmm. Bulldog, everybody knows he was on that loaded Georgia Bulldog defense, and he was kind of the guy they were taking as, like, the guy who's not going to go early like the other two, but sneaky. He could be great one day, and hopefully he develops behind two solid linebackers, and he'll get a chance to shine at some point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was a fairly high recruit. You know how I feel about uh, high school recruiting numbers, so... I love that guy. If All they right. were a five star, yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite lines, former five star. Uh, moving on to the secondary here, where I talked about it last episode. It was very nice that we had them as the episode before. Um, the Dolphins were our number one secondary. They were they held that number one spot that the Jets currently hold. And about I guess it was probably about three weeks ago now, and we haven't really adjusted for it, but. Jalen Ramsey goes down, looks like he's going to miss about three to four months, and we had to move them down. to. We kind of agreed upon them being right above the Cowboys at eight. Uh, you're probably not getting Jalen Ramsey back till around December. Can you speak a little bit on that injury? Uh, his meniscal tear, it varies a lot, but since he hasn't been using crutches or brace, it's probably more like three to four months as opposed to like a standard six to eight months. So they're hoping they'll get him back by the playoffs. If they're not looking good at that point in the season and the injury plague has hit them, like we kind of hinted at being, being a potential considering every group so far, except, well, we even mentioned the risk of Waddle and Tyreek ruining the playmakers if they get hurt. But we've had something about yeah. injuries in every group. I can't imagine they'd rush him back onto the field in December if they aren't in contention anymore. But if they are, that could completely turn the team around. And he should be perfectly fine by then. Yeah, and we, you know, anybody that's following football knows that Jalen Ramsey, when he's on the field, is one of the best players in football. And the fact that they were able to get him for a third-round pick uh, blew my mind. To say the least, I'm sitting there as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan that has not had a competent cornerback play since Rod Woodson, and um, it, it was I was banging the table a little bit. I'm like, hey, 
we 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 can't do that. Why can't we do that? Why can't we send a third round pick for Jalen Ramsey? Like I think eighty percent of the teams in the NFL would have sent a third round pick and a backup tight end. I would have gladly sent you Connor Hayward and a third round pick for Jalen Ramsey if you wanted a backup tight end. I could have done that for you, but ultimately we don't. Dolphins do. I'm sure you would have loved the Jalen Ramsey. I'm sure everybody would have loved it. Well, no, no, no. Michael Davis disrespect is allowed on the show. My bad. I mean, we'd just put JC on the bench. <laughs> oh, right. I'm Simple so excited enough. for the next episode. Uh, yeah, but even without Jalen Ramsey, this is going to be a still competent secondary. Uh, you do have Xavier Howard here as well, who's um, had a little bit of a tough run. Maybe gets his you confidence back. You have mentioned back. it lately. Um, you did that's mention kind of in the last episode how... He did mention in the last episode that he's been kind of banking off of a, like a nine interception season, which is true. But they do have depth here. They did just draft Cam Smith, who has potential out of South Carolina to be good. They've got Noah Benogamy, who they're praying works out for them. They picked up Eli Apple, who he's solid. He's not going to be flashy or anything like that, but he gets you competent corner stuff. And then Cater Kohu out of the slot is exactly that. He's a slot defender, and that's about it. You're not going to get much more out of him. If you get a true slot receiver against him, he'll lock them down. But the second you get like a guy who's 6'2", 6'3", he's cooked. And then in the safety room, you got Javon Holland, who you're hoping for a breakout. And then at the other safety position, you got Brandon Jones, who is definitely on the decline, but he's still solid. And then Deshaun Elliott, just sitting on the bench. A great safety in this league who... I don't know why he's being undervalued at this point and why he went for like next to nothing to them. And yeah, I mean, Javon Holland doesn't necessarily need like a breakout. He was phenomenal in his rookie year, graded out really well, had a bit of a down, you know, sophomore slump, if you will, in year two. And you just hope you can get back the guy that you got in his rookie season. Like we both said, we were kind of hoping for higher grades from him in year two. And when we went to check, it was like, oh, that's not, it's not as high as we thought. Um, you did mention Eli Apple here as well. It's going to be uh, fun. And we do – we are going to miss out. You texted me a couple of days ago and you were like, God, I really want to hear Kane pronounce Noah Igbenogany. And uh, we'll never – we won't have that chance now, unfortunately. Um, but he's here as well. Another former first-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. He was, and it flopped hard. Yes, it did. Was that the same class? That was, they did have two that same year. No, they had, no, they had three because that was the Tua class too. Oh, they had three that year. Woof. That's rough. Tua. <laughs> they got one. Austin Jackson and well, Noah Ibn- Yeah, I mean, yeah, you get one. And, I mean, if you can get one, you're not yeah, overly enthused. And when you hit it quarterback, like if they hit it Noah Benogany and Tua was awful, I mean, would you feel much better about this Dolphins team? Probably not. So they hit on the one that mattered. Um He's not going to be impact here is, is a long way of saying that. Uh, Eli Apple probably going to be filling in for Jalen Ramsey for the foreseeable future, as crazy as that is to say out loud. You just really hope that you can get back 2020 Xavier Howard because the last few years have been atrocious, to say the least, uh, for him. Cater Kohu, Brandon Jones, I think are solid starters, like you said. Um, but we'll move into the coaching segment. And I think I, I, think I was higher on this guy than – you guys were. If not, I'm going to go change that right now because I I think Mike McDaniel is could have very well assert himself into the top, the upper echelon of coaches. You had him at 10. I had him at 11. Um, oh, my God. Okay. Nope. Wasn't high enough. Kane had, had five. five. Yeah, you were not higher Jimmy, than us. Christmas. And then – Yeah, Tomlin. I'm going to kick his ass. Um, anyway, Mike McDaniel coming over from San Francisco was the run game coordinator there. Uh, is much more known for his off the field, very uh, chill guy vibes than he is known for his schematics, even though his schematics are fantastic. He's drawn up one of the best offenses in the NFL last season, and I don't anticipate that changing this year, especially with the the playmakers that he has and the quarterback that he has. It's going to be a great offense, and it's going to be because of him. You got Frank Smith here as well. Another one of these coordinators is not going to be calling the plays here, but Chargers legend, legend, uh, also a run game coordinator similar to Mike McDaniel. Uh, And then you get Vic Fangio here, which is one of the biggest coordinator pickups in a very long time, it feels like to me. You know, this is the guy that has revolutionized or 
was the, really the guy that created the uh, the I guess meta defense, for lack of a better word, that you're seeing all around the NFL now. That quarters coverage, the Fangio scheme, they get the guy that brought it in. They bring in the Godfather here to run it. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, you do have the guys in the front seven, and we talked about that, them being at eight to the point where you can drop back seven guys in the coverage, you rush four, and you can get home with Bradley Chubb, with uh, Jalen Phillips, with Christian Wilkins, you know, even in Emmanuel Agua off the bench is much more of a pass rusher or in pass rush situations. And you also have the pieces in the secondary as well to run that scheme successfully. So I think that, I think honestly we're a little low on the staff, and I think that I forgot or maybe didn't forget, but wasn't waiting as heavily the fact that Fangio was here um, when we were going over the coaching stats. Because if I did, man, I mean I'm looking at my rankings in front of the Dolphins. I've got the Titans, the Seahawks, the Ravens, the Giants, the Rams. I don't know where I would stop, but I definitely feel like I'd have the Dolphins a little higher. My thing is, I didn't want them to crack the top ten because it was just one year McDaniel, and we. Did end up. Before you continue, why did you have the Packers at nine? I trust Lafleur. I mean, he managed to establish a run game initially, and then kept going. He's okay. the winningest coach through his first what three seasons? The Joe Barry thing doesn't. Okay, all right. So it's all Lafleur. Keep going. But. <laughs> We did see once there were some good defensive coordinators that did adjust to what they were seeing from them on tape, look at the 49ers and Chargers in back-to-back weeks, that they made two uncomfortable, and they made that offense way less efficient. I mean, initially in the Niners game, they had a 75-yard Trent Sherfield touchdown that was next to nothing after. They had two fluky touchdowns against the Chargers, one where it was complete playground madness. That was planned. Yeah, just fumble it and then have a giant pile where Tyreek manages to get it five yards away from everyone. The fastest player on the field gets it and takes it to the And then Alohi Gilman falls over middle of a coverage route and just so happens that nobody else was back there. He would have been in good position if he didn't trip. But other than that, they did seem to have great schemes for what they had been seeing from them. And it, like McVay's scheme, his first year he came out, he was insane. That offense was elite. And then it was tailed off a little bit after that. People kind of knew how to adjust, and then he had to adjust as well. I just want to see if McDaniel can truly adjust to people throwing new looks at him in the next year. And we'll see how he does if Tua is healthy, because he's the perfect guy to implement this type of like Shanahan scheme. You just need a guy who can place the ball where you tell him to place it. And yeah, then I like, love Frank oh, Smith. At, I love yeah. Frank Smith at OC. We dropped off so much in run game efficiency I get Rashawn Slater was out, but that was the only real long-term injury that should have hindered us on the offensive line at that point, and we just could not run the same way. And then, like you said, Fangio is the godfather of the new meta of defensive schemes, and who better to try to bring in for a win-now team than the guy who is touted as probably the best defensive coordinator of the past decade. Yeah, and you you talked about McDaniel, and it's about how he adjusts, and I totally agree. But I, Mike McDaniel does not strike me as a one-trick pony. You know, he took the Shanahan scheme and brought even more looks into it than had you know previously been thought. He didn't grab Kyle's playbook on the way out and just use it here in Miami with better weapons. I really think that he you know evolved it a lot, and I think that if he can continue doing that, I feel like I feel really good about this coaching staff. I would not be surprised if Mike McDaniel puts himself in that top eight, maybe even top five coaching conversation after this season, you know, especially as a young guy, I think that the culture there is a very good one. You know, you see the relationship that he has with Tua. I can't really speak to the relationship that he has with the other guys. And maybe that's part of the problem is I don't want to like create something that there isn't there, but maybe there is like, Oh, I love my quarterback, but you guys are, but maybe we just don't get the videos on that because it's not the quarterback coach conversation and they're not on hard knocks. So we don't get to see all that. But I definitely think that McDaniel plus Fangio, like you've got this offensive wizard and then the defensive wizard. Not a lot of teams have two like legit head coaches on their staff. Yeah, two wizards and two guys that were head coaches. Fangio was a head coach in his own right not too long ago. And I don't know if he will be again, but like – if he was a head coach, would he be the worst head coach in the NFL? Probably not. So 
two head coach level guys on the staff. Not a lot of teams have that. So credit to the Dolphins for going out and getting Fangio. You know, that's paying. You're paying a defensive coordinator salary to a head coach. So good for them. Uh, moving on to the schedule, and boy, oh boy, it's a doozy. You have the second hardest schedule in the NFL. Uh, the over under seven nine and a half wins. Very colorful. I, you know, I saw this and I was like. Whew. It not only not only does the NFL and their stupid win totals say that this is the second hardest schedule, you look at this colorfulness, man, and you're like, you, you've even got some nice gradients there from going from Bills blue to Giants blue to Panthers blue, and then you're into a green, then you got some reds back to back. Down the stretch, you've even got like a navy to a purple to a blue going. I mean, it's rough. I If I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm pissing myself right now. I, yeah, I'd be terrified of the color. Unless you're colorblind, then it's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. only game that doesn't worry you in color is probably the Jets and the Commanders. I mean, they have an easy stretch of colors from week 11 to 15. 15? Well, yeah, from for color. For, I forgot that for we're color. gauging this on colors. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and in real life football, they get a nice – I guess this is the easiest stretch from off, coming off of their bye week. They get the Raiders. The Jets are going to be tough. But then you get the Commanders and the Titans. And honestly, the Raiders, Commanders, Titans are probably your three easiest games on your schedule. The Panthers lumped in there as well. But my lord, I mean, you're obviously playing in this loaded AFC East where you got to play Buffalo twice, you got to play New England twice, you got to play the Jets twice. That's not easy. You've also got the AFC West where you got the Chiefs, the Chargers, and even the Broncos on some weeks. You also got the NFC East where you got the Eagles and the Cowboys and the Giants. It's rough. I will say they don't get to use their home field advantage like the I I uh, I think the Miami home field advantage maybe one of the two or three strongest in the NFL, and it's not for the reason you think. You know, when you think about home field advantage, you think about Green Bay, you think about Pittsburgh, you think about Buffalo. Dude, in September, if you've got to go to Miami, it is a death sentence. Look at how those guys in Buffalo were reacting last year after going to play. I mean, they had to put like 10 guys on ventilators because it's so hot. It's like 95 oh. degrees. You saw that they set up their stadium so that the sun would beam on the opposing sideline and mm-hmm. be 20 degrees hotter in the middle of the game. That is, That should be outlawed that you can do that. <laughs> Dude, and good for them because, I mean, I don't give a shit about my – got to create a home field advantage somehow because also like – It's not going to snow reason, there. Yeah, the, it's never going to snow there. The best you're getting is a hurricane, and that game's not being played during a hurricane. But – the the backhand of that is the fact that they do – I think that the NFL scheduled it so like what, weeks one through four, which is when you're going to be playing in September and October when it's still, you know, 90-plus degrees, three of those four games are on the road. I I am like slamming – I'm slamming Miami in that Denver game at home against a team that's usually playing in cold weather. They might get their ass handed to them. Like that could be like a 40-point win there for Miami. Um, but you don't have that – like when you think about home field advantage, you think about it in January, and they don't get – the, the impact isn't the same in September. You're just not feeling – yeah, you're not feeling those wins and losses as much in September as you are in January, and they have credit to them, and it's great for them, But they and they get four out of their five last – four of their five final games at home. You only have to play Baltimore on the road week 17 – but in normal weather, yeah, it's like you're just playing in Miami Stadium. You might as well be playing in a dome. Like it's, it's just going. To, you just have turquoise jerseys all in the crowd. Um, nine and a half wins for you know this is a team we have eighth, but one of the hardest schedules you're going to find. And you got to remember, like somebody's got to be losing these games. You know, we talked about it. I've said it for the last three episodes, and I'll say it again. Of our ten teams. Only six of them are going to make the playoffs in the AFC, and the eight of the teams left are in the AFC. So we would have had the Browns and the Jets making the playoffs, but you know you can't have Tua have three concussions this year. If Tua goes down with one concussion and misses two to three weeks, that might be a season ender with how close this AFC is going to be competitive or how, comp- how competitive this AFC is going to be this year. I don't know, man. Nine and a half – what do you think? I might base my decision off of yours. The second hardest schedule in the NFL, and all we've mentioned 
in every position group is injuries and the potential for injuries. I don't, I try to be positive and assume there's not going to be injuries because I have to be seeing as though I root for the Chargers. But you have to be realistic at some point and realize that Tua is likely going to miss games because he's never been healthy in a full season, regardless of concussions. They're going to be missing a left tackle at some point. And they're already missing Jalen Ramsey. Even though the team is loaded and they can be competitive, if you're missing your left tackle and quarterback for a week and throw Mike White to the Wolves with backups, you're asking for danger. And No matter how good that defense is, they're not overcoming that. Yeah, and even the defense, you you said it with Jalen Ramsey, like Jalen Ramsey is the best player on this defense. And that was like if you felt really good about the Dolphins, you know how many Dolphins Super Bowl bets went in the day that they traded for Jalen Ramsey? Probably a shit ton. And everything else here, you know, there's stars up and down the roster, but if they can't stay healthy in this AFC, it's going to be hard to stay competitive. Like, you know that Toronto Armstead's going to miss four to five games, which op- which increases Tua's injury likelihood by, like, double. <laughs> and if that happens, I mean, I hate to say it, but the season's probably over. Again, we're obviously not wishing any kind of injuries here, but we're just trying to be realistic in what could happen. Like, this is this is the reality of a guy that had three concussions last year where you've got to keep him upright or your season's over. You never gave me a prediction. How am I supposed to make my prediction? All right, here's my prediction. Get a quote graphic ready. The Miami Dolphins will miss the playoffs and go under nine and a half wins. Okay. That's probably not a great one, but but obviously if they don't reach the over, they're not making the playoffs. So of the eight teams that we had here, it definitely feels like Miami is, has one of the stronger cases because, like we said, if something happens to Tua, it's over. And even if something schedule. doesn't happen to Tua, yeah, I mean, the schedule is, even if like the Tua Pats, is fully healthy. The Pats are always going to be a hard team to play. And like, They should be able to beat them with Tua, but if they don't have them, Obviously, terrible. this is put together by last year's wins. So when you look at the win percentages... The Jets only won seven games, and they get them twice. Imagine if the Jets were counted as a 10-win team. Like, they look like they're going to be somewhere around there this year. I feel like they improved from seven. That counteracts the Giants, though. Yeah, but they get the Jets twice. So you get, you know, it maybe counteracts once, but not twice. Um, you know, maybe the Jets aren't a 10-win team, but they're probably better than seven wins. Or, you know, if they're not better than seven wins, good for the Dolphins. That's another playoff spot that's opened up for them. So... Uh, congrats on that, but I think I'm going to go under as well. I still think, you know, I'm still going to throw you on the quote graphic, obviously, but I still think that they can make the playoffs with nine wins because somebody, like some one of these teams, one of those top eight teams that we have in the AFC, something's going to happen to one of them. Something's probably going to happen to two of them. Something could even happen to three of them to the point where these spots start opening up and, you know, a team like the Dolphins – or the Steelers maybe like sneak into the playoffs and like that's what we're all as a community as a collective in the NFL hoping for is that uh, black and gold get back in the playoffs. All right, moving on to the rankings. Uh, we have the offense. We have the offense at seventh. We have the defense at seventh. We have the Dolphins at eighth. We don't know how. We don't know why, but it happened. Um, Injury tiebreakers. Injury tiebreakers and coaching tiebreakers. Uh, championship window. It's our first one yet, I think, right? Wide open. Wide open. Yeah, there's, no, so. there's, no, uh, there's no time clock on it. There's no, expir- there's no expiration date. We had, I think we had the Jets as one to two years left, and I don't know what we did with the Browns. but I feel like that was open. I can double check for you. It might have been, yeah, been like an open and like with this many years left. But the Dolphins, I mean, you feel like for the foreseeable future, unless something for the eighth time today, unless something happens with Tua, provided health, I mean, this team's going to be in it every single year. And that's what you've got to be excited about as a Dolphins fan right now is that this championship window really is wide open for them. And oh, you guys season. Go ahead. one year away for the Browns. Oh, uh, yeah, probably because, you know, technically they would be two spots away from a playoff berth even if they fulfill that 10th ranking in the NFL uh, as unfortunate as that is for the AFC teams. Uh, but the dolphins by our math would be in the playoffs as the seventh seed as the eighth best team in the NFL. 
The NFL really needs to do something about that. We need to redistrict these teams. There's no yeah, reason why the AFC South and NFC well, South. And the worst, the worst part about it is going to be like, well, you get, when you think about it, unless the Raiders get the number one pick, Caleb Williams is going to an NFC team, and unless the Raiders get like the number two or three pick, Drake May is going to an NFC team. So, because you think the three worst teams in the AFC right now are probably the Colts, tight or Colts, Texans. I think Titans and Raiders are probably tied with each other, and all three of the four teams drafted a quarterback. So they could give up be... on them quick, huh? They could give up on them quick. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess mean, just look get... at Josh Rosen. He went in say, and out of the if, if somebody gets the number one pick in the AFC, they're going to have a tough conversation, unless it is the Raiders, in which that's a very easy conversation. Um, I think the NFC might make a comeback in two years, but it's going to take a long time. This AFC is going to be a gauntlet until then. It's a absolute disaster. Do you ever? Would you ever support like a best fourteen team alignment, and then you just put the seedings of one through fourteen on record? I know some people have brought that up for kind like the NBA more so than the NFL. The but. NBA is kind of like that, yeah. <sighs> Maybe like that. I think it at least needs to change because. Why are the Dolphins in the AFC East when they have to travel almost across the entire East Coast to get to everybody in their division? Yeah, when that, why, you could simply throw them in the South. Why are the Colts in the AFC South? I don't know. Doesn't make sense. And I, I think I know the reason why, or not the reason why they're there, but the reason why they're never going to move is because you don't want to miss out on the rivalries. Like the rivalries, the AFC North was to establish. Yeah, like the North. Like the, if the Steelers Ravens ever got broken up, the Ravens would definitely move to the east, and the Colts would probably move to the north. With the Dolphins going to the south, you lose Steelers Ravens. Like, I would, I would kill myself. Like, I I need Steelers Ravens. I love, I hate the Ravens so much, but like I love that rivalry. If I don't have that rivalry, it tears me up. That Ravens fans are like looking up at the Bengals now. They're like, oh, I want to beat the. I want them to hate us. I want to be hated. Why, why are you hating somebody that isn't me? Um, that really bothers me, honestly. Like, I still want, like, we're looking up at the Ravens, and they used to, like, be beating up on, we used to beat up on each other. And now they're trying to, this is not an AFC North episode. We're going to get out of here before, um, oh, we didn't even talk about anything. Uh, offense, defense, ranks, do you think those are fair? Seventh and seventh? I think they're pretty fair. Have maybe one or two lower for offense. I don't know. Defense is probably still pretty accurate, even with the secondary being lower after Ramsey. But that front seven is underrated, so I'd like to keep them right around there. Yeah, so we have the seventh-ranked offense, seventh-ranked defense comes up to the eighth-ranked eighth, uh, eighth team. And we have the eighth-ranked front seven, eighth-ranked secondary comes out to the second-ranked or seventh-ranked defense. It's We don't know why, okay? I don't know why. but Hey, the people decided this. The people did technically decide this. Um, we can scapegoat them for the next yeah, two episodes. It's you guys' oh, fault. It's not my fault. I will not take blame for this. I absolutely will not take blame for this. It's you guys' <laughs> fault, and it's not my fault. All right, well, I think we're going to get out of here uh, covering this eighth-ranked Dolphins, which means we have seven teams left. Very excited. We're getting down to you know the real Super Bowl contenders teams that we're going to be talking about in January and February. Much more exciting, at least in my opinion. Um and be on the lookout for the next episode. It's probably going to be a long one because of the guy that's below me, right? Pause. I mean, we have to get to a fantasy draft after it, so we yeah, have true. to. We're going to sprint. <laughs> Mitchell's going to sprint anyway. I think, what are you picking? You're picking like ninth, right? I'm 11th. I got, or 9th. I got time. Yeah, I know who I'm picking at third, so I'm good. Don't tell anybody that. All right, we're headed out of here. Peace.